This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to this Joy 94.9 podcast. We want to hear from you. It's time for our listener survey. So head to the Joy website and let us know what you love about the station and your presenters. Maybe you'd like to share your thoughts on Joy's program production team, the volunteers behind Joy Podcasts. The result of this survey will assist us in continuing to be the best possible station we can be. Head to joy.org.au and have your say. Joy 94.9, your voice, your radio station. Good afternoon. How long since you've been to Tasmania? I'm going to introduce you to a couple of business people. One who's an incredible uh, farmer and the other who produces salmon. All from Tassie, all happening now. Stay tuned. Forget the football this afternoon. Just stick with me. afternoon we are talking cravings hello i'm pete dylan at six minutes past one right here on joy 94.9 this is cravings your weekly update of food and booze a big week ahead the age good food guide awards announced on monday night so uh it's it's going to be an industry night if you want to eat out in melbourne can i give you a little hint don't eat anywhere on monday night because all of the good business is happening uh in town as the winners and and hats recipients of the 2008 17 Age Good Food Guide are announced. So um, we'll catch up with a few of the winners next week uh, right here on the program where there's all sorts of things, Restaurant of the Year and Chef of the Year and all of that. So uh, stay with us for next week's program because we will be looking at the recipients of the Age Good Food Guide Awards. But today... The people who provide that stuff that goes into the kitchen for for chefs to play with, they are the farmers. And I've met a, a couple of people of late from Tasmania, people who um, who are entrepreneurial and clever, and and have created extraordinary businesses that will that will really play on the world stage. When you when you hear the stories of what these people have done in um, in what is there's sometimes challenging conditions. The first person I want to introduce you to is a fellow by the name of Will. He is from Thorpe Farm. Thorpe Farm is in Bothwell, right in the middle of Tasmania. It's sort of, if you want to get, you can get to anywhere from Bothwell and, and from Bothwell, to Bothwell from anywhere. It's sort of, if you dropped a little pin in the middle of a map of Tassie, you'd probably find Bothwell. Uh, Will is an intriguing man, and we caught up uh, just a little while ago, and I, I started by asking him what um, uh, 
what what his farm was all about and and how uh, Thorpe Farm came about. Enjoy this. It's it's a really lovely chat. It's a very engaging fellow. This is Cravings here on Joy ninety four point nine. It's almost eight minutes past one. Uh, so we're up in Bothell in the central highlands of Tassie, pretty much almost the middle of everything. So you're on your way to everywhere. Um, basically, we've had been here for a long, long time. I'm seventh generation on the place. And traditionally, we were a wool and beef enterprise. Um, we've basically diversified pretty heavily in the last 40 years to adapt to the changes in farming. And uh, now we're a pretty heavily diversified operation doing everything from wool still through to venison, um, boutique vegetables, uh, on-farm tourism, paddock to plate, catering, that sort of stuff. So we've had a bit of go at, bit of, bit of a go at everything to try and sustain ourselves. And has that worked, that, that changing um, changing face of the farm, I suppose, with with adding all sorts of things in into the mix? Yeah, look, it's basically a case of you've got to adapt or die. In, in agriculture in particular, you can't really stand still with what you're doing. You've got to just keep working forward and uh, either getting better at what you're doing or looking to new horizons. Um, you know, we've, we've kind of... The business was underpinned by by wool and meat as such, red meat production, and it still is ultimately. But what we do on the site to help diversify our income stream and mitigate risk is for us mm. pretty heavily. It, it takes a lot more effort, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, you said you're, you're seventh generation. Has it always been Thorpe Farm? Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. So it was named by a guy called Thomas Axford who isn't related. He came out to build a flour mill and ended up getting this grant off someone who did a land swap. And our original house as such was just 600 metres away from this block. And, you know, as marriages and surnames change through the generations, the you know, we've always been here holding the same titles, some of the same titles, and some of the farms next door and vice versa. <laughs> well, give us, yeah. give, give us a bit of a picture of, of the farm. So how big is it? What sort of... So we're about 2,200 hectares. So oh. it's quite large. The... It's like a big giant J. Um, we're at the top of the J, right by the river, and it's quite long and skinny block. So all the blocks here are long and skinny. So everyone has a small piece of river frontage for irrigation, yep. and that's where our intensive operations happen. With the irrigation, we've growing poppies, um, Jerusalem artichokes, horseradish, salsify, um, you know, all these other weird, wonderful veggies, plus a lot of red meat, growing grass and opium. Uh, which is a pretty stock standard mix in Tassie for this region. Uh, then we go further across into the hills, so we're about 350 metres at the house, the top of the J, and as we go down to the other end of it, we end up at 480 metres, yep. which is a giant basin. The bottom of the J is a giant basin. It's about to get irrigation to it, which is very exciting for us, and that's one square mile big. So it's a big chunk of ground, and it's surrounded by bushland, remnant bush, which has been unchanged since white settlement, so we have probably a thousand hectares of bush all around these basins, and we go right up to nine hundred and eighty meters, nearly a thousand meters. So we get quite extreme weather here, and it's uh, you know it's quite a picturesque place. There's a lot of bush, and then you've got your open country, and sheep love it. And recently, some snow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get plenty of snow up here. We get the, we get huge frosts as well. This year's been a bit uncanny. We long hot summer, and then the El Nino's come. And it's been so wet that the water has saturated the ground and acts as a great buffer. You know, there's a lot of energy in water, 
so it doesn't get too cold this season. So the grass has grown a lot longer than normal, but we can get minus. I think my, the record's minus 14 and a half, which will freeze an egg. But, yeah. uh, you know, we, we consistently get minus five to minus six in those cold snaps. And in summer, it gets up to 42, 44. So it does, get, it does get that hot as well. So it's quite extreme, oh, yeah. extreme temperatures. How, how, does the, how does the produce or, or how does the stock manage that? Or, do you, or have you specifically uh, chosen what you tough. have? Yeah, it makes tough sheep, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, they, um, they handle it. So it puts more flavour into them, we can say. No, that, that, um, look, it's good sheep country. The bush is very good protection for the animals, for the meat. So, you know, the animals can go in a lamb in bush and shelter and tussocks and native grasses and the lambs survive and they come down into irrigation country and love it. So the sheep are a great fit like that and they don't frost compared to other crops like uh, wheat and things like that that'll frost, but you don't really see a merino frost. And uh, we then go through and basically come down to low country and go into irrigation stuff. So what we're doing there is growing poppies, uh, which is a great climatic advantage. Again, the, the, the long day lengths we get this far down south is great for growing things. And then we go into the boutique vegetable side of it. Um, and again, that's capitalising on what I call environmental niches. So mm-hmm. the, soil gets, the soil gets very cold. We're sitting at about 5.8 degrees at the moment down to 30 centimetres. So it's cold. And uh, what plants have got to do to cope with that and these big frost events is put oils and things into their cells to make them resilient to the frost so they don't fracture and rupture and die. So, A, we've got to pick crops that are good and can handle that. So it's basically root crops. So is, is that and, why you're growing uh, things like horseradish and, and that yep, sort of stuff? Exactly. Because they, they can handle those extreme temperatures in the earth? Yeah, yeah, they love it. And the horseradish will take it and it actually adds flavour to it. So it's um, putting the oil in, the cyanate compound, the heat compound. It's actually a protective barrier to make elasticity in the cell wall. And when you rupture it, it, it has a reaction with the air and that's how you get your hot root. So we're basically growing hot roots because it's bloody cold. <laughs> <laughs> That's the crux of it. <laughs> and look, a beautifully, a beautifully put expression as well. Um, it's a crude I, way to do it, but it's, yeah, I say we sell good roots. That's what we do in Bothell, basically. We, excellent. Uh, you can get a hot root in Bothell. You get a hot root, you can get round roots, you can get long roots. It's all here, and, uh, and they're bloody tasty. So, you know, what more could you want in life? We're pretty much, pretty much um, capitalising on that is what we're doing. So we also used to grow strawberry plants. Yep. Uh, they're an alpine plant and they like their winter chills. So they'll get their winter chill here by August, uh, by autumn, late autumn. They'll basically have a winter and we're dormant. We could dig them up, send them up to Queensland and boom, there's your off-season fruit. So Queensland winter's more mild than waffle winter. Yep. And uh, yeah, off they go. So, you know, all those sort of things have helped us. And basically all the veggies we're farming on a sand dune in the farm that doesn't grow great grass, uh, doesn't grow great poppies. And uh, basically, yeah, we just grow in that because there's limited soil structure. Mm-hmm. Um, so digging and digging and mechanically harvesting and things doesn't do any real damage. Uh, it's easy to work with. It doesn't cling to the vegetables. And it's literally a two-kilometre-long strip um, split by a highway and 100 metres wide. Okay. And either side of it is just back to black clay. So it's a bit of sand dune perched on top of the normal clays around us. And, yeah, we're just sort of farming that pretty intensively. We're listening to Will Thorpe. He is, uh, sorry, Will from Thorpe Farm in Tasmania. He's a, he's a cracking fellow and he's, uh, he's got a lot to share with us. We're going to hear a little bit more from him very, very shortly. But in the meantime, we need to be playing some community service announcements for you. This is Cravings here on Joy 94.9. My name is Pete Dillon and it's currently a quarter past one.
We're listening to you. SMS 0427 JOY 949. Email on air at joy.org.au or call us 1300 JOY 949. It's 14 degrees. You're here on Cravings on Joy 94.9. My name is Pete Dillon. We're heading for top of 16 today. It's a miserable day. You might be on your way to the footy. Uh, another big final. It's finals weekend, of course. So uh, we're having a bit of a chat about Tasmania today. And I'm introducing you to a couple of people. One of those people is Will Thorpe. We heard a little bit from Will already. I'm going to share a bit more uh, from Will with you. We're talking about his his farm and diversity. He's, he's quite a character, but at the same time, he's a, quite an entrepreneur. Here's a bit more of that discussion with Will from Thorpe Farm in the middle, in Bothwell, in the middle of Tasmania. You're on Cravings here on Joy 94.9. My name's Pete Dillon. Will, do, do you sit down and think, do you, sit, do you sit down and research, you know, into the evening, what what's going to grow where and how and well and why? Yep. How how much of what you do is research and how much of it is, if you'll pardon the expression, dumb luck? Uh, look, it's, it's not really dumb luck. I think we, we watch what's going on and understand our environment well and what grows here. And we look around us, you know, doing a bit of homework before you start. So the latest one we've gone into is celeriac. And so I started reading up on it and I'd seen a bit of it on YouTube and realised that, again, it's a, it's an oil-based compound that gives it that celery flavour. It's beautiful. You know, they extract the oil from it. Yeah, and it's a nice subtle flavour and it'll grow slow. It grows very slowly up here compared to coastal stuff. But it's got a great flavour and it's got a long season. So that was the latest one and I was watching it and I could see it coming in on trend, you know, turning up a bit more and more and my ears perked up. So, yeah, I'm into year three of growing it and... That's not a massive crop, but I grow about 12,000 12 to 14,000 heads a year and keeps me out of trouble, keeps me honest. And what's the biggest challenge for you when, you, when you're starting to, when you are diversifying so much and you've got um, obviously land-based animals and you've I'll got... I'll tell you straight up, time management. <laughs> yeah, time management. It's, like, it's the crux of everything, any, any business. It's very easy to get distracted and fo- focused on one thing and drop the ball on something else. So look, being as diversified as we are is actually very hard. It's, um, and our, our clients, you know, have had a good working relationship with Pure South for a while and, and they, you know, they have weeks where we can't get anything out of us or say when they're shearing or poppy planting, we've just got to say you've got to hold three weeks worth of stock in your cool room because we won't be able to speak by the end of the next two weeks. We'll be that knackered and, you know, that works in. But then there's other days when you drop the ball and the communication fails and it's hard. It's very hard to do it um, consistently, which is which is a threat, you know, to the mm. business. That's the biggest risk. You, you upset people and it's hard work. <laughs> For guys like me who... I'm more a producer. I, I don't want to do end products where my clients know it all. I want I want chefs to know my stuff and enjoy it and, and be showcased by someone else. They're taking my product and they visit us and understand what I'm doing and then present it in a way and, and sell my backstory. It's not just another bulk ingredient, which is which is a magic you know, magic feature and something unique. Does it does it personalise your farm? Does it give your, your farm a, a bit more of a, a, a personal, or your business, a more of a personal identity rather than just being a box of horseradish or, or celeriac that's going to arrive on the door tomorrow yeah, from look, a green grocer? I mean, that, that's something I've gone passionate, well, passionate into, I suppose is the word. Um, you know, creating that, that, that backstory. Everyone talks about the backstory, but how do you convey it as a farm sat in the middle of Tassie with three people working on it? You know, like... <laughs> And we don't want people coming and visiting because we're just flat out. And you've got to keep the place neat to do that. Like, how is you tell your story? So 
you know, I've rebranded our boxes. I've created a nice logo. No one ever sees it except the wholesaler who goes in the back of a truck and sits in the cool room. But, you know, people start seeing it and recognising it and responding to it. And then I used online media quite a bit, so Instagram, Twitter a little bit, and um, Facebook to convey what we're doing and share our journey. And, uh, that's, that's been really good. Utilising that media, I imagine there's a great deal of joy when you see a product that you've put in a box and has come over with a, uh, a, a supplier as a wholesaler and then you see yep. this this beautiful produce on a plate that's been so well taken care of. I imagine you must derive a great deal of joy from that. Huge amount, and that's why you do it. Because, I mean, when you when you send a bit of wool off, you know, we send out 50 tonne of wool and we know some of it goes into business suits and all the rest and you can't see a suit and you think, it could be mine. Mm. Whereas this is a full vertical integration and you talk to the chefs about what size of size celeriac they want and what part of the year and, and then, you know, you go to your delivery and they, they give you a taste of it or show you what you're doing and you walk out with a real spring in your step. That's for sure. It's, it's, a, it's a positive reward for a pretty... Farming seems feels like a thankless task sometimes. It's a collection of very boring, mundane jobs. When you put it all together, it seems very interesting. You know, picking up bagging lambs and fixing fences and stuff. It's all pretty, pretty mundane jobs, but it's the collective amalgamation of it that's what farming is, and that's the exciting part. And when you're in product, you can see someone enjoy all those boring things you put together. It's bloody rewarding. Talk to me about your drones. You've got drones that you use yeah. on the farm. How do, you, how do you integrate drones into a farm like yours? Uh, taking pictures and putting them on Instagram. Everyone goes nuts for them. It's quite amusing. Um, look, I have been a pilot. had a little business flying gliders out at Hobart and doing scenic flights and loved aviation and commercial space. And I like to try and be entrepreneurial, so... I also fly radio control planes and like that idea. And I saw the drones sort of popping up five years ago, got into it, got active about four years ago, built my first one just out of scrap gear and, and could see the links between my farming and like what we call precision agriculture. I could see the links between that and the drone and the data I could capture and some positive outcomes. So started mucking around joining the dots. Uh, found a bloke who's I knew through flying and he was a bit of a dude. And he'd just got his act together and got his full commercial licence for drones. Basically, yeah, went up with him, went up to him with a beer and said, hey, you want to form a business? So we formed up our little company flying drones. We do all sorts of stuff from farm modelling. We can model farms incredibly accurately as a 3D model. And then you can do drainage and slope, irrigation scheme planning, lots of, lots of planning tools and, and, you know, mapping your farm accurately. Then we can go into crop vigor mapping, looking at um, different spectrums of light and how it reflects off the canopy and telling us how well crops are going here and there. And from that, we can change irrigation patterns, uh, change fertiliser regimes. Or when we come back to crop the paddock the next year, we can look at the travelled spots, go straight to them and say, right, what's going wrong in this seven-hectare chunk here and what's happening there and, and really um, drill down on what you're doing, what you've got to do. So it keeps you very focused compared to walking into a 50-hectare paddock and going, I think it was bad over there last year, I can't remember. You've got a full-blown data set. So, and uh, I take sheep with them as well. Pretty handy for that in flooded paddocks. <laughs> Find your stock, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, you can get in. We've got thermal cameras on them, so you can pop up and you can see stock and count wallabies and all that sort of stuff. You know, quantify vertebrae damage, all that sort of thing. There's so much you can do with them. The drone's just a platform. It's the data you get with it that's cool. 
So it's sort of, yeah, hits all my hobbies in one. I love computer games and 3D modelling and CAD and it all just feeds into that. <laughs> so you're a, bit, you're a bit of a tech head as much as you are uh, getting out there and getting you know getting your boots and your hands dirty. Oh, yeah, massive, massive geek. Massive, massive geek. I, I've loved computer games since I was a kid and, and, all, and building and trying to make systems and stuff. Like, I love all that sort of gear and... But yeah, I also love getting on the end of a welder and fabricating stuff, and that's that's my creative outlet, if that makes sense. Like some people have got music or art or or something else, and my creative outlet building things. How 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 important to you? And I'm not saying suggesting in in broader agricultural sense, but how important to you is um, is technology in, in managing your farm? Look, it's it's not the be all end all. Um, it's not a silver bullet. It you know, I still I used to try and record everything online in you know farm management books and that sort of stuff. You know, on on the cloud, I've kind of stepped back on the paper for some stuff, and then other things like calendars and and planning and organising stuff I love. Uh, you know, I can't live without it. I get a morning email in my inbox at five a.m. telling me what I've got to do today. As long as I put it in the calendar, I love it. <laughs> the the software side of managing invoices and stuff, we're just getting into that. Um, and then in the precision egg space, I think there's a massive void right now of how to handle these reams. We make gigabytes of data every time we do a job. And uh, what you do with it's the big question. And, and the tech is just one part of it. If you're not motivated, um, you're not going to get the outcomes. You can be just as good a farmer without all the tech, mm. with a really good intuitive gut instinct. And because you're, you're, model, you're putting together so many complex variables to try and win. You know, you're, technically you're pushing pushing it uphill or going up a river without a paddle. <laughs> up up, that, up, so that proverbial, yeah. up the proverbial creek. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's, is there a dream, is there an end goal for you where you could sort of sit down um, and, and put your feet up and go, I've, I've done all of those things? Is it... Yeah, I want, I, want a, I want a helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not so I can afford a helicopter, I'll be happy. I'm desperate for one. <laughs> right. That's my end goal. If I can get that, and if I can take you to ride in the chopper, you'll know I'll be grinning inside like a Cheshire cat. But um, no, look for me, my end goal is just to have a farm that I, if my children, I've got three little boys, and if they want to come onto the farm and part, you know, become part of what we're doing in our story, and take it through, I, you know, that that's a happy life for me. So I just want to focus on the people in the journey. You know, I, I don't want to focus on the the land itself as as the centrepiece. You know, the, the land's just a mechanism for what we're doing, but if we've got strong people around us and a strong bond, then I think that that follows with us, a healthy business and a healthy landscape. So would, you know, would my you, little boys would, want to come in. Would you say you're a custodian rather than a, an owner? Yeah, with, totally. And you learn that. Once you've been here for you know, 190 years like us, you, you learn custodianship's what you are. You can make your dent. You can only make so much of a dent. Um, on what you do to the place, you know, fences and laneways and roads and irrigators and stuff. But, you know, the next generation comes along and they want to do it completely different. And you've got to release that that dream you had of what you, where you wanted to, you know, bring the next one in. So that's that custodianship, handing over and transitioning through to the next one. And, you know, that's why I think if you focus on the people in the, in the business, uh, the, that relationship from clients through to, you know, if you if you transition and someone starts making mistakes and you've got a shitty client, it doesn't help. If you've got a good client, like Pure South, will work with you through the challenges, give feedback and help you go. You know, that's, that's a very strong thing. So, 
I, I suppose yeah, that's what so I want to do. My, my final question then takes me to um, sort of back to that custodianship. If you can imagine the man that wanted to build a flour mill um, yep. all of those years ago, would what would be his reaction to what you've the, the generations have been able to create? Oh, he'd be laughing his head off, I reckon. Be amazed. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's it. That's I think that's that thing about being being elastic and dynamic and, you know, going into these vegetables and all these things is just all part of that story. You can't predict where you're going. I couldn't predict that we'll be doing drones now, you know. I dreamed of going into overhead irrigation 20 years ago into poppies and that sort of stuff. But then the drone side of it and the options that opens up, you know, just blow me out. So it's cool. And you sort of sit back and love it all. And, uh, you know, it's good fun when it all comes together. <laughs> <laughs> when it all comes together is probably the operative word. Mate, really good to talk to you. Thank you for um, allowing right. us to intrude on your day. Yep, beautiful. No, all right. Thanks, Matt. Good on you, Will. Continued success, buddy. It's, it sounds like you've got a, a marvellous operation. I look forward to, to getting the chance to catch up and, and chew the fat a little more about, uh, about what it is in your special place in the world. Yeah, no, thank you. Cheers. G'day, I'm Pete Evans, and you are with Pete Dillon on Cravings on Joy 94.9. Yes, indeed you are. This is Pete Dillon here on Cravings on Joy 94.9. We are talking uh, all things Tasmania today. A really interesting discussion with Will from Thorpe Farm. He's a fascinating character, and I'm looking forward to catching up with him again to, um, to see if we can explore a little bit more about what it is that makes him tick. Bonjour, I am Gabriel Gatte. You are listening to Cravings with Peter Dillon on Australia's only gay and lesbian radio station, Joy 94.9. Yes, you are. Hello. It is 23 minutes to two. The next person I want to introduce you to, if you were listening a little while ago, you may have heard a discussion with this woman already. She is from Hugh and Salmon. And whilst we're talking Tasmania, I thought you might enjoy having this. Her name is Frances Bender. One of the things Tasmania is most noted for is, of course, beautiful, beautiful salmon. Frances Bender is from Hewan Aquaculture and is here to sort of share the, the story with us, if you will, about how Hewan came about and, and its relationship with... Um, with other growers, certainly in Tasmania, and then how it's placed itself probably on a global stage. Francis, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Peter. Uh, t- tell me how you and all came about, because I, I understand this, this story of, of sort of a, a collective of growers, if you will, um, of, of salmon farmers evolved in, into what, it, what is now. Take us through the journey. The journey for us began actually 30 years ago this year. It's our 30th anniversary. Congratulations. 2016, yes. Um, And um, we're actually one of three salmon farming companies in Tasmania now. But when we began 30 years ago, there were 14. And we started off in an industry that simply didn't exist before. So it's been an amazingly fantastic ride. very dynamic, very exciting, massive highs and massive lows to actually now be the largest agribusiness um, agri-industry in Tasmania um, and the largest fishery by value in the country. Wow, that's a, that's from a, a sta- From a standing number. start of not existing 30 years ago, yeah, it's worth about $650 million a year now as an industry um, and it's an amazing success story for Tasmania. Well, it's it's an amazing amazing success story for you. Take take me back to those days thirty years ago when it all started. How did you decide that that farming salmon was going to be a a, a way forward, or was it just a, a whim to to 
you know, help grow your, your then. Were you in cattle farming? Yes, um, Peter and I were managing his family's um, cattle and sheep farm. So we had about a 3,000 acre property and we were growing a beautiful herd of Murray Greys and um, fat lamb sheep and we owned uh, the little local butcher shop. So that was our first foray into the retail world of selling our produce. And um, we saw... The, the farm actually has a lot of waterfront and it's a beautiful area just in, down south in the, the mouth of the Yuen River and the industry was just starting um, around in Dover and we thought that there might be opportunities for us to perhaps diversify into fish farming as a way of um, Peter and I becoming perhaps more independent. And our first thoughts were that, you know, if we could make a success of this, perhaps we might earn some money to be able to buy <laughs> the family farming property. Little did we know the monster we would create. <laughs> um, why fish? I mean, if, you, if you've got that lovely big parcel of land and you've got sheep and cattle, was there not a thought of diversifying into to another form of agribusiness rather than aquabusiness, like, a, I don't know, growing horseradish or potatoes? Um, well, this is, agri- this is agribusiness, it, and it is farming, um, and that's what... Um, people possibly still get confused by they they probably think that because there's water involved it must be like fishing but (laughs) one of the main reasons that um you and aquaculture has been successful and our company has been successful and is the only founding company to survive since the beginning of the industry till now is the fact that we have never forgotten we were farmers so it's always been about farming and the way we look after our stock and that that attention to detail and those principles of farming um, has, is what stood us in good stead. Well, sort of and, pre- um, from then till now. Preempting a question there, I suppose. But um, how how similar then is is farming salmon to farming any other sort of stock? Um, it's very similar. It's just wetter. <laughs> so you really you really need to look after your stock, um, which of course any farmer does. You need to feed them well. You need to keep them stress-free and you need to look after their environment. And those four pillars are what we actually now call the human method. And if you manage those four pillars well, and they're all totally and utterly interlinked, then you will actually be successful at farming. So whilst that sounds simple and sounds very basic, that is the basic platform. But obviously then we have, um, I think we can claim um, quite honestly that we've been the, probably the most innovative farmers. In fact, we would be recognised as some of the most innovative salmon farmers in the world um, because I think we had the advantage and or disadvantage of being so remote to the rest of the salmon farming community that's based in the Northern Hemisphere. Mm. We've always had to look outside the square and, and to think about different ways of of managing a problem, we haven't had um, off the shelf off off the shelf equipment. We haven't had in the early days, particularly right up until recently, we didn't have access to easy access to funds. We grew the business by the reinvestment of dividends and and debt, so we had very strong relationships with our banks. So money was hard to come by. So we had to sort of look at every sort of, every part of the business and how we could get the best return. So it made us be very very. And we've always looked outside 
um, our region and our area to looking at best practice and then adapting that for the Tasmanian environment, which is actually very different. Farming here is very different to farming salmon um, in the rest of the world. So, so do you still look to the rest of the world, though, for those that the those little bits of inspiration for your innovation? Do you sort of see oh, something happening in the Northern Hemisphere and get an idea on how that can be adapted to suit your property? Absolutely. We actually currently, uh, we have um, a research and development um, arm of the business and we are working with overseas entities, um, research entities, universities, centres of excellence and also including our own um, centres down here, um, IMAS the Institute of Marine and Antarctic Science, um, CSIRO, um, constantly in programs with the, and other universities all, acro- all across the globe in, in the applied science of, of um, fish farming. So we have very close and robust links with researchers across, across the globe. Frances Bender is my guest. She is uh, one of the owners of Huon Aquaculture in Tasmania. Uh, a fascinating discussion we're having already. I've got more of that coming up. Stay with me. You're on Cravings here on Joy 94.9 with me, Pete Dillon. All day, every day. Joy 94.9 on air and online at joy.org.au. Do you still farm cattle and sheep? The family still does, yes. Um, but we don't. Um, we were for when we first started the fish farming business. We were doing both. We were managing mm-hmm. the farm and the fish farm, and physically working in both. And then in 1994, Peter and I approached the family and said um, they were looking at, at, at diversifying into another part of another business as well at the time. And we said, well, can if we can raise the funds, will you sell us the business at that time, independently valued? Um, they agreed. Um, we found a bank silly enough to take us on. And <laughs> I, I think smart enough, 30 years down the track. It's, yeah. yeah, smart enough, 22 years later. Yeah, and that was the, that was the beginning of um, the ride on the roller coaster that um, to, to, to some um, aspects I think we still live on. Francis, would you look back and say it's been a, um, uh, a wonderful experience or would you look back and say, God, we've learned so much and, you know, we've got grey hair and we've... Uh, We've sometimes wanted to pull it out or set it on fire or just walk away. I mean, what, looking back, giving it some historical perspective, would you suggest that it's um, it's been worthwhile? Everything you've mentioned, we've <laughs> we've thought, <laughs> including setting your hair on fire. <laughs> sometimes on a daily basis, um, it's been the most amazing journey and people quite often say to us you know did you imagine that you you know that your business had become this and I look at them and think well no um no we didn't um was this planned um yes and no there's been enormous highs and we still have fantastic highs we have the most amazing team of people that we work with um that share our passion and that's an interesting thing that's that's a really um important piece of feedback that we constantly get from a range of visitors is people comment to us about the staff that they've touched in their visit about how passionate they are and um, it's more than just a job for for the team at Ewan it's about loving what we do and just continuously improving so I think the other thing that still completely astounds me even after 30 years is is the the learning curve. The learning curve is actually still completely vertical. Mm. 
So as soon as we get the answer to one issue, on the, on the way to actually getting that answer, we've discovered another 50 questions we haven't thought about yet or, <laughs> or things we want to actually improve or need to improve or opportunities that we can take. So it is just the most amazingly business. It's awe-inspiring in its level of, of dynamism compared to nearly every other agribusiness that we, you know, that we understand and, and um, have relationships to. Francis Pendy is my guest. Francis, I, I wonder if you could sort of talk us through some of the the challenges of, of farming fish. Um, obviously, there's there's going to be some point where where you're milking the fish for uh, for roe. Um, I, obviously, there are there are also predators that that would like to be interested in eating your fish. What what are some of the big issues you face uh, growing salmon? Well, the big issues um, are the security of your stock. So we we spend and we've invested a lot of money and time and research and effort into growing the very best um, smalt that we can. So so we actually control the process now. When we started, we were actually just growing fish and selling our, our fish to we were buying in smalt and we were selling our fish to other other producers and, and they were selling them in their brand and then we realized that that really wasn't working for us and so we cre- we actually stepped out from behind the farm gate and we took charge of our own destiny in in relation to our brand then we also realized that we weren't getting the quality smalt that we needed so we needed to actually take charge of the process from egg through so we actually now have a fully vertically integrated company where we manage the process from egg all the way through to consumer. So we have branded product on supermarket shelves and we sell product, branded product um, into um, Asian export markets. So, so there's a level of expertise across every section of the business that's, um, that's really world class. And so we've learned, um, I often comment, and this is absolutely true, that the two least qualified people in the business with no formal qualifications <laughs> is Peter, who's the CEO and yes. managing director, and myself, who's an executive director, the founders of the business. Our staff are so highly qualified and so um, so great at what they do um, that that in the days when we, we you know we might be struggling with a problem that they don't know about, you come to work and you know their passion lifts you up and gives you the gives you the um, impetus to keep going on, keep forging ahead and, and sort of sorting out the problem that you might be dealing with. But it is, um, it is a real, it's a business that if you have attention to detail in every single area, it's, um, then you will succeed. Uh, you were saying about the problems that we have, we do have a major issue in Tasmania with um, an ever-growing number of very, very clever seals <laughs> and um and they love salmon and they they, they they work together in a team and they problem solve and i'm sure that they text because as soon as someone has worked out one of them has worked out a way to get in or to get a fish they all know so they communicate amazingly quickly so in the last two years our company has invested over $100 million in rebuilding and redesigning, rebuilding a new patented pen that actually keeps those sam- those, the salmon in and, and the, the seals out. out. The seals mm. out. And that was developed in-house by Peter and the team and it's a huge 
benefit for the business moving forward now because it also means that we've created also a safe working platform for our staff to work on. Well, of course. Um, and, and that's you know, the commitment to IHS, but also commitment to, to keeping your proc- uh, crop as productive as possible. So I want to go back to these seals because they are very, very clever. Um, I understand that, you know, they they worked out that if one of them sort of smacked its nose against the, the fence until it bled and then they would sort of take turns in doing that until they made a hole. Is that is some of those uh, you talked about them working together? They they do really seem to be quite clever. Oh yes, no, they're very clever. They'll um, they'll jump exceptionally high. It's amazing actually how high um, a three to four hundred kilo seal because this is the size we're talking about. These are seals that are monster seals, yep. and they can dr- they can jump meters high. So we have a three meter high jump fence. Um, on the new fortress pens, which is the name that we've called our new pens, the three metre high um, external predator fence. We've now, just of recent time, actually witnessed massive seals using their flippers to climb, using really? the mesh to try and climb out of the water. Um, they charge the net, and if there's any holes, they'll they'll force their way through. They don't seem to be concerned about getting caught, which sometimes is is really a bad thing because sometimes they will get caught um, getting out and then sometimes occasionally we will have had a a seal that's drowned itself and and because it's under the water we don't know that. Um, But we don't have many incursions now with with these new pens because in Tasmania seals are still listed as endangered and they're protected. So we're in their environment um, and we actually have to keep them out and our fish in um, we have no other way of dealing with them they don't actually have a natural predator so their numbers are growing so that's why we took the decision um, to actually um, move to this new style of pen once we had the technology and the other reason we did that is also because these these pens are extraordinarily robust but flexible and because we have moved offshore now with our farming, our kilometres offshore in very, very exposed open waters, some of the most exposed salmon farming waters in the world, um, we needed a pen that would actually be able to stand up to the storms of, of the Southern Ocean. I was at work. I was riding my horse. I was microwaving a watermelon. My iguanas escaped. There are lots of reasons why you may have missed your favourite show, but don't worry, because our podcast team has you covered. They'll work through rain, hail and national glitter shortages to bring you the best bits of every show. Visit joy.org.au and click on the podcast tab or head to the iTunes Australia podcast store and subscribe to your favourite shows for free. Thanks to our podcasters, you'll never feel guilty about missing a show again. Joy. Well, that's almost me done, folks. We've uh, had a great chat of things at Tasmania. Um, next week, as I said, we'll be looking to meet some of the wonderful folk from um, the Good Food Guide Awards. It is happening this Monday night. Uh, it's something that you need to be invited to. I'm very sorry you're going. I am. Uh, so I shall be back next week, no doubt, with some uh, with some noise from who is the restaurant of the year, chef of the year, who got three hats, who got two hats, who lost a hat, who only got one. And then coming up in weeks further, we'll have some more interesting uh, industry professionals for you to meet as well. I'll be back next week. As I said, it's Good Food Guide Week. Um, Until then, it's been a delight to have your company, as always. You're here on Cravings. I've been Pete Dillon, and it is coming up to 2 o'clock. Thanks for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9.
Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.